Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining us right here today. Appreciate all of the opportunities that you've given us to speak into your life, and I want to thank Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host, here with us as well. And um, today, we are tackling a very important subject, and we want to get right to that. But before we do, I want to tell you guys how to plug in with us. And you can go to thehousinghour.com and learn more about us and Uh, listen to our show our past shows and share it with friends and family you can also find us on facebook as well facebook.com slash the housing hour and on twitter at the housing hour and we're doing part two of our discussion with dr peter pry who is the executive director of the task force on national and homeland security and he's also on a congressional advisory board and he is doing a lot of good work to protect Americans, and he's doing the grunt work. He's doing the behind-the-scenes learning and discussing and developing strategies to protect American lives. So first of all, Dr. Pry, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And this is part two of our discussion. We loved your first show so much. You know, we had so much feedback that we wanted to get you on again. And um, the one thing that we hit on the last show, we talked about your past. We talked about what happened when you were coming up and all of that. So I want people to direct people back to the part one, which you can see right in the link there um, for that information. But where we want to go with this show is to talk about what you have found to be the vulnerabilities in our, in our grid and how we can secure the grid. And for people who don't know what the grid is, it's what really basically keeps us um, alive, essentially. Can you give us the big picture, first of all, about why it's important to secure the grid? And then we'll get into talking about what our vulnerabilities are and what some of the, the findings that you had in your task force. Sure. Well, the electric grid is absolutely vital to our existence as a modern society. We are an electronic civilization, and we can't, we can't uh, exist without electricity anymore. Uh, the electric grid is what is called the keystone critical infrastructure the most important of all the critical infrastructures because it runs all the rest of them. Communications, transportation, business and finance, even food and water depend directly or indirectly upon the electric grid. Mm -hmm. And that's why if we were to lose the electric grid, uh, the Congressional EMP Commission estimated a nationwide blackout lasting one year could kill up to 90% of the population through starvation, disease, and societal collapse. So uh, from an adversary perspective, they wanted to do a nuclear EMP attack and take down the grid, which is what is being planned by Russia, China, North Korea, and, and, and Iran. It's why these guys either have the bomb or want the bomb. It's one of their, their uh, new ways of, uh, of, of warfare. Uh, uh, it's because of our incredible vulnerability. The electric grid is to our society what, the, uh, what aqueducts and roads were to Roman civilization, and we, we, we can't exist without it. Is that how, I mean, part of how Rome was taken down, honestly? <laughs> it was. Uh, actually, when the barbarians figured out, one of the things that, uh, that really ended the Roman Empire was the barbarians figured out that, uh, that, uh, that they could take down the aqueducts. And uh, uh, I think within a generation of the barbarians toppling the aqueducts that brought water into Rome, the population of Rome dropped from uh, from uh, a little over a million people 
to ten, uh, went down to ten thousand people in, wow. uh, in one generation. That's incredible. And and uh, and also the, uh, you know, the road systems. When the and the uh, in the end, when the Roman Empire was at its at its height during the so-called Pax Romana, where you basically had two centuries of more or less of peace, uh, and, and Rome had been was very successful at the height of the empire. Uh, cities did not have walls. They didn't need to be protected. They're just like modern cities don't have walls because they were able to maintain the peace with the, with the legions. But as, the, as, the, uh, as they were not able to protect their borders and, uh, from the barbarians, and as the center, uh, as Rome, started waning and losing its power, and you had a series of bad emperors, the cities had to take care of themselves. And that's when you had the rise of walled cities, uh, these fortress cities that uh, that are so scenic and that tourists go to visit now when they take their European vacations. Uh, but that was because of the fall of the Roman Empire. It was one of the, the signs of the collapse of the Roman Empire. And it, may, it concerns me, it concerns me that, that I am now, in the modern context, you know, uh, because we haven't been able to make progress in Washington in protecting the grid and protecting our people from the modern barbarians who would use EMP to attack us, states that I've had to go to the states, and we are making success in the states, and that's a good news story. But it, uh, from a historian's point of view, it bodes it bodes ill that uh, that uh, you have to go to the states and they have to, in effect, erect walls around themselves to protect themselves from the modern barbarians that would use EMP because because Washington, the new Rome, is uh, is not doing its job and, does, and is uh, in the grips of incompetent leadership that uh, is not doing its job to protect the people. Well, you draw um, some very interesting parallels between Rome and the United States, and that is extremely fascinating. And part of how you knew that was your historical um, past, that you got you know, your, your Ph.D. in history. Uh, Mark, you had a question. Yeah, Dr. Bry, this is Mark Griffith. Uh, you had mentioned in some of your writings and some of the videos uh, drawing the parallel with the Russian, uh, the Rome aqueducts, the EHV transformers, and you were comparing that to the ancient Roman aqueducts. Could you elaborate on that, and what is that EHV transformer, and why is it so vulnerable? Sure. There are two technologies that are absolutely indispensable to our electronic civilization. And as I, uh, as I said, they are kind of what the roads and aqueducts were to the Rome. An extra high-voltage transformer is what makes the modern electric grid work. Uh, it's, it's an object that's the size of a house. It weighs many hundreds of tons. Uh, there's 2,000 of them in the uh, national electric grid. Uh, they were invented by Nikolai Tesla at the turn of the century. And, uh, and uh, you know, we invented those things here. And they make modern, the modern grid and modern civilization possible. And what they do is, uh, is they take electricity, for example, from a hydroelectric plant near Niagara Falls, as an example, and they'll, uh, and they'll project that energy at, like, 750,000 volts, you know, down uh, to New York, New York City, uh, and then there's another EHV transformer at the end of the line that steps that energy down so that it can be disseminated to smaller transformers that steps the power down and down and down from the 750,000 volts to the 110 volts that you use in the house so you can use it. So it makes it possible to take the energy that's generated in nuclear reactors and hydroelectric plants and all these big generators and, and project it long ranges uh, to the place where it needs to be consumed and then to step it down so it can be consumed locally. And that's basically what it does. Uh, 
and the, the grid won't work without it. Uh, that's why they're so important. The other technology that's very uh, uh, important are, are SCADAs, they're supervisory control and data acquisition systems. And whereas the EHV transformers are immense, giant objects that weigh so much, these SCADAs are really small. You know, they can be the size of a bread box or a, or a briefcase. They're basically little computers, and they're designed to regulate the way electricity flows into things. They also regulate, they're present in all of the critical infrastructures. They regulate the way water flows through a pipe or gas flows through a pipe. They regulate traffic controls, uh, switching, railroad switches, uh, air traffic control systems, all kinds of industrial processes. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, so our modern electronic civilization, if you had to point to two things that are the most important, it's these EHV transformers and these, uh, and these SCADA systems. And both of them are, are vulnerable to EMP. Uh, and uh, uh, and, if, we were to, and uh, if we were to lose them in an EMP catastrophe, you know, we would basically cease to be an electronic civilization, and we could not support the 320 million Americans, you know, uh, that we have. We were able to support a population of that size only because we are an electronic, high-tech, modern civilization that can produce, that, that is able to, to, to produce food to feed people like that. With less than, less than 2% of our population feeds the other, all these 320 million people, less than 2% of our population. That's because of technology. And that food can be distributed to these people and preserved, and all the complex logistics that have to go into uh, providing pure water to sustain this population and entertain this population and do all the things that we take for granted in our modern high-tech society is made possible by electricity and by these technologies that I have described. Now, how long would it take if one of those transformers went down, just one of them? How long would it take to rebuild one? Well, it, it's probably, it may not be possible to rebuild one. Uh, usually, it depends what, what the damage was. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're concerned in an EMP that uh, you wouldn't be able to rebuild. Okay, how about making a new one? Okay, it takes 18 months to build, to build one. Why don't we have spare ones? We have a small number of spares, probably, you know, le less than 5% spares. But um, uh, the, uh, we don't have many because they're very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also very heavy you know, because they weigh hundreds of tons. And there's 2,000 of these transformers. You know, you know, you don't, it's not really convenient. It's not really that practical uh, to, to be able to transport a transformer across the country, you know, to where it's needed, you know. Right. Because, because uh, there's only three railway cars in the whole country that are strong enough to carry one of these transformers. Wow. And then when you move it from the railway car, Bridges have to be reinforced. Highways have to be widened and, and reinforced, you know, because <laughs> they will, they, they'll destroy the pavement. You know, uh, you know, it's just uh, moving one of these wow. things, like trying to move a pyramid. And so that's not really a ter uh, having lots of spares in some centralized location isn't really uh, a practical solution. And the uh, and the industry, it, co it would be so costly. The industry is. Uh, you know, uh, is, uh, has tended to be against that. Well, you know, Although, when, when there was that attack um, by people with guns, I think they were shooting. What were they shooting in California? And they were able to turn the turn everything off before it became a problem. But was that one of those? Um, was that one of those transformers? 
uh, those were AK-47s they were using. Okay. And and, uh, and uh, fortunately, those were not uh, extra high voltage transformers. They okay. they were, uh, but they were still important transformers. They were mm-hmm. they were they were uh, medium sized uh, uh, transformers, probably HV, so called high voltage transformers. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, talk about uh, vulnerable. How can somebody possibly get to shooting distance of one of those important pieces of infrastructure? Oh, because uh, you know, because they're not protected. I mean, except for a chain link fence, maybe a strand of barbed wire around it. That's basically all the protection that the electric power industry has given to these things. I don't think our government is imaginative enough to really protect us, unfortunately. Well, you see, these uh, these AHV transformers are not under the jurisdiction of the government. Mm. They're under the jurisdiction of your local utility, of which there are three thousand different utilities in this country. and the uh, the uh, utilities have never considered themselves they're outside of our national security culture. You know they're about making money. Uh, they're part of the private sector. They're not about providing for national security. And so they put as little money as possible uh, into protecting these things. But can't the government, because their number one role is to protect Americans, doesn't that fall within their purview to change that culture? Well, you'd think it would. And uh, and that's what the Shield and Grid Acts have been all about. You know, the problem is. Is there the lobbyists electric- that are fighting against it? Yes, and and the, and the pro and and even before that, uh, you know, the problem is, the problem is uh, uh, with protecting our country against DMP is not the technology. We know how to do it, right. and it's not the money. It doesn't cost that much to protect the electric grid or even all the critical infrastructures against DMP. It's the politics of EMP mm. that is going to get us killed, and the lawyers in the electric power lobby, mm. and an organization in particular called NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which is supposed to provide for the protection of the grid and the reliability of the grid, but it's not a government agency. It belongs to the utilities. It's paid you, for. It's, it's, it's highly paid executives are paid for by the utilities. And you also NERC, have these, um, these people out there that are writing articles that don't have much scientific evidence to them, and we want to talk about that. But unfortunately, we're coming up against a break, and I apologize for interrupting you, but we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Pry right after these messages. There is an unprecedented threat to our electric civilization, our power grid. We've all experienced temporary blackouts, accept them as mere inconveniences. But what if a natural or man-caused event plunges the entire United States into darkness lasting months or years? What would be the results? The threat is not theoretical. It's real. Blackout Wars by Dr. Peter Pry on thehousinghour.com. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into The Housing Hour. Kevin Ray, your host with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. We have um, Dr. Peter Pry on the line with us. He's the executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. And again, we want to thank him. I wanted to get back into what you were just talking about because you were speaking to the politics in NERC, um, one of the arms um, of the the utility company, I would assume, to because you know what, doing some of these uh, assessments and some of these uh, retrofitting, I guess you would say, um, some of these utility um, 
vulnerabilities. I mean, it certainly costs money and, and continued compliance and oversight, which costs money, and then control then becomes not theirs. And so then you have other, you know, government agencies that are monitoring it and the utility companies, if they can avoid it, because they think it's a, a, a low risk type of situation. And that's what everybody always says. But you just said in the last segment that China, the Soviet Union, Iran, these other countries that are, are armed with nuclear weapons, they've already started the planning stages of EMPs. Now, no, none of us would think that other human beings could be this evil. But, hey, guys, let's, let's come on into the, the real world. They are, and they want to have control, and they want to, to control the world. And, and if they can shut down America, and that would be their goal. So am I right about saying those things? You are more right than you know. Oh. You had alluded to uh, a mysterious attack that was conducted with AK-47s, the favorite sidearm of terrorists and rogue states, hmm. in California on, uh, on April 16, 2013, when an attack was made on the Metcalf Transformer substation, uh, which was a very important substation. And, uh, 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 and we still don't know who made that commando-style attack. The U.S. Navy SEALs investigated it and said that this was a professional commando-type operation that's done the same way the U.S. Navy SEALs did. And in their judgment, it wasn't a failed attack. What it was was an exercise by mm. parties unknown, they don't know who, but practicing to try to take down the grid by using small arms fire, by means of a commando-type operation. Now, what happens that on that very day, on April 16, 2013, we were in the middle of the worst-ever nuclear crisis with North Korea, and North Korea on that very day had orbited a satellite called the KSM-3 on the optimum altitude and trajectory to evade our national missile defenses and do an EMP attack if the satellite had a nuclear warhead inside of it uh, on the United States. It would have put an EMP field down over all 48 contiguous United States. And it passed over us on exactly that same day, April 16, 2013. So maybe that's just a coincidence. But the odds against it seem to me to be extraordinary. And the KSM-3, by the way, still is in orbit and passes over this country every few days. You'd think that with a North Korean satellite passing over our heads at the optimum altitude for a nuclear EMP attack, that's clear indicator that they at least practiced this. And, uh, and I think exposes their intention. So, uh, so that this isn't some remote theoretical possibility. It's such a near, clear and present danger and such a national emergency that we've got the bad guys orbiting satellites over our heads. I don't even know where to go from there because that's scary. Um, people who are listening, I mean, one of the, the active things or one of the action steps that you can take is to, because you alluded to it, was to talk to your friends and your family, but also your, your local government, your state governor, and those type of people. Is that where we're, going to, where we're going to be able to inject change and be able to put pressure on people? Because Americans can change the world if they just take that step and leap into action. Yes, I think that people should, people should at least call their congressmen and call their senators and tell them to join the Congressional EMP Caucus tell them to support the Critical Infrastructure Protection, Protection Act, which is currently before the Senate. Mm -hmm. It passed the House unanimously, and it's before the Senate right now. And it would protect not just the electric grid, but all the critical infrastructures from EMP. You know, uh, and, and they should take action within their states as well and, at, and call and write their state governors and their, their legislative representatives and say, 
we don't want to wait for Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing what we can with Washington, but we want to follow the example of Virginia and Florida and Maine and Arizona. And we want to get our grid protected, too, and, and push to have your, at least your state do the things that are necessary to keep the lights on within your state. And if you can't have success at the state level, you can, you can island your community. You can island the city. And, and, you should take, and you should be prepared as a family. You know, and take this, the, 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 the steps. Have a food supply. Have a water Two, supply. I mean, how much should we water. have? Two weeks? I mean, that's not going to do anything. Well, you can never tell. I mean, you know, two weeks is better than none. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I'd say the more you can do, the, 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 better, the, the better off you are. But let me Sometimes I have way. only two hours worth of food, to be honest. I know, I know, <laughs> and that's a bad situation. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Uh, right now, our whole nation is like a house that doesn't even have a smoke alarm in it, okay? Mm. And so the, uh, the likelihood, if we're thinking of the threat as being a fire, okay, as, as opposed to EMP, that means that the national house is, uh, is in the riskiest situation it could be, where it is completely unprepared for this particular threat, whether it's EMP or fire, right? Mm-hmm. But if you just take and spend $15 on a smoke alarm and put that smoke alarm in your house, on the actuarial tables of risk, suddenly you've greatly improved your security. And it's, and, and, and it has, it's not a guarantee that your family still won't get burned to death or die from smoke inhalation or whatever. Right. But you've put yourself into a whole new category with just that small expenditure of effort, you know, so mm-hmm. that now you've got a much better chance of surviving and even saving your house if the fire breaks out. I mean, even in buildings, you have to have, by law, if I'm not mistaken, fire extinguishers like on every floor. Right, and if you did more than that, and you had a fire extinguisher in your kitchen, if you did more than that, put sprinklers, you know, by making more and more prudent steps and um, greater and greater investments, you, you move yourself away from this area of total risk in the direction of, of, of reducing the risk, whether it's a fire or an EMP. And it's the same thing. You know, you might think, well, two weeks of food isn't enough, just like the way some people might say, well, you know, why should I even bother putting a smoke alarm in my mm-hmm. house? I mean, it's kind of like saying, I'm not even going to bother to put a smoke alarm in my house because it's hard to see how $15 could save my whole family. But let me tell you, $15 can save your whole family. And it has. Fire. And, and two weeks of food, you might not think that's a lot, my friend, but it might just be, you know, the, 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 it might just be the little bit of preparation that makes the difference between, between survival and not surviving. I bet you so you I, have I a lot think, of shrink-wrap meals at your house, don't you, Dr. Yeah, Fry? I, I would not. I would not use the argument that um, that the. Uh, I would not make the best the enemy of the good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you think it through and say, well, gee, I really should have a year's food supply and a year's water supply, and uh, and and have my house converted into a fortress. And unless I'm willing to do that, I'm not going to do anything. Well, you made a point. Uh, you know, I think I listened the- to you on a video that you said if you can prepare. Even if it's just preparing in what you're speaking of, it will allow for our emergency personnel agencies to be able to focus on the people that aren't prepared. And so even if it's from that perspective, you're preparing for your family, and then they don't have to worry about you. They can go on and help somebody that is not prepared. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, and um, and you could be in a position to help help your neighbor who may be unprepared. And I want people uh, you know, to understand, Dr. Pry, that we're not just talking about an EMP attack. And in our next segment, as a matter of fact, I do want to get into the natural disasters that can occur and the electromagnetic storms that exist. And we talked about it in our last show, but I want to talk about, you know, we have this magnetosphere that does protect us, but in these super storms, these, these once, you know, every hundred years type storms, you know, that's not going to protect us. So I do want to talk about that as well. This is not just talking about North Korea, China, the Soviet Union, and whoever else might want to do us harm. It's also these natural disasters, which which is really, before we go to our next segment, I'm going to leave this for our listener and for you. I'd like to you, you to speak of or speak to which should we be preparing for, the natural disaster or the man-made EMP I know the answer to it because I heard you say it in a forum that you were on, but I want others to hear your answer to that. And we'll get back with this and much more right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back to the Housing Hour, and uh, that song coming in, that is a, a specifically perfect song, because a lot of this, we do have to be leaders, we have to be courageous, we have to be the ones that are pushing the envelope and pushing the subject and talking about it, and you don't have to be fanatical or you know, crazy people think sometimes that you're a conspiracy theorist when you start to broach these subjects and rather than being looked at like that, because when I listen to Dr. Pry and all of the research I did before our show, I never once thought, man, this guy is out of out of touch with reality. Every time I've heard him speak, it has been very much in line with reality. And he's not like you know, telling you that tomorrow we're going to be devastated with nuclear war. He's saying we have to prepare. We have to put fire alarms, so to speak, into our detectors, into our homes on a national level. And, um, Doctor, you had mentioned, uh, um, and I think in the last show, that NASA said that there's a 12% chance um, per calendar year. I can't remember what you said, that there might Uh, be one. Per decade, that there would be one of these Carrington-class superstorms, which hasn't happened since 1859. We did, however, have one or something not not exactly like that, a, a less strong 1921 um, storm that was as the result of something from the sun. But you mentioned this is so important for people to realize that they have determined that that 1921 storm, if it were have if it would hit today, something similar, that it could shut the electricity off for four years and that's even if we could ever come back from it right yeah that was a uh, four to ten years uh, four to ten years uh if 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 we could recover from it at all the 1921 railroad storm was only one tenth as powerful as the carrington event mm-hmm. the carrington event which was 1859 yes right and there was no gr- i mean there was no grids back then there was no infrastructure that we have today i mean i'm sure it no. was devastating they had to- uh, telegraph uh, uh this telegraph had come into, uh, we had telegraph stations all over the world, in India, in Africa, in Asia, mm-hmm. telegraph lines. We just laid the uh, transatlantic cable across the Atlantic Ocean, and the pulse uh, from the Carrington event was so powerful that it, uh, 
it basically shut down telegraphs all over the world. It reached down to the depths of the Atlantic Ocean and burned out the, the cable that had just been laid across the uh, bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it caused fire, fire, forest fires around the world because of the uh, cables bursting into flames. And you can and uh, telegraph keys uh, from the time were, were melted. I mean, it, you just think about how robust those electronics were, those primitive electronics from 1859, mm-hmm. right? Um, they weren't microchips, right? right. Uh, you know, uh, so just imagine what a Carrington event would do to a modern microchip that's designed to operate on, you know, one billionth the energy that, uh, that, uh, it, that the 1859 telegraph for our listeners, can you explain what we're talking about? The Carrington event it is a is it a magnetic pulse from the sun? Is that basically what it is? Well, uh, what it is is a uh, uh, going to the physics one hundred and one here. Uh, uh, let me explain it this way, using the lawnmower analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, ba- basically, a uh, a moving magnetic field will generate make electrons move in a wire. So, a moving magnetic field will cause current to flow in a wire. And you know this from when you go to start a lawnmower and you pull the cord on your lawnmower, and it causes a cluster of magnets to spin around, and that's your moving magnetic field. Mm-hmm. And it causes the electrons and a coil surrounding that uh, it generates a current. And uh, this is called a magneto. And, uh, you know, you can see the little EMP that's generated in the heart of your lawnmower by a spark that goes to the spark plug. Now, the Earth is a giant magnet. It's got a north and a south pole, and it's surrounded by a magnetosphere. And the sun puts out these blobs. It'll hurl out these hunks of itself, basically, called coronal mass ejections. Mm-hmm. And it does them all the time. It's going out, they're going out at random all the time. And every, uh, every now and then, a, a big one will come out that has a lot of en- so much energy in it, you know, uh, that it'll be traveling over a million miles an hour. The Carrington, cl- the Carrington event was traveling three million miles an hour. And it was a huge blob of ionized plasma that, uh, from the sun, a coronal mass ejection that was many times larger than the Earth. And it slammed right into the Earth. And the thing that keeps us from being burned to death by this is the magnetosphere. As you said earlier, God in his wisdom surrounded the Earth with a magnetosphere to save us from that, that fate. But the bad thing that happens is that the uh, coronal mass ejection hitting the magnetosphere a million miles an hour distorts it causes it to wobble around, and so you've got this moving magnetic field all over the Earth happening all at once everywhere. And so what happens? Well, uh, it generates currents and wires uh, uh, on the surface of the Earth and in airplanes flying above the Earth and, uh, and things underground. Anywhere there's a wire, it'll generate a current. And so basically, yes, you, this, is, this is how you get a natural electromagnetic pulse. It's the same principle of... Uh, creating a moving magnetic field by making the magnetosphere wobble around and move and oscillate. Uh, same principle that's on in, at work in, in your lawnmower, except scaled up to a planetary scale. Mm-hmm. And, and so, consequently, the energies you're talking about are also scaled up and just enormous. And so powerful that that uh, geomagnetic storm, not even a superstorm, but a normal geomagnetic storm, can actually generate enough voltage to melt the heart of an extra high-voltage transformer. In, in 1989, there was a storm called the Hydro-Quebec storm in Canada, and this was only one-tenth as powerful as the 1921 storm, or one one Which was one-tenth as strong as the 1859, right? Yeah, so this is like one percent the energy of the Carrington event, mm-hmm. and it melted 
they set the heart in New Jersey. Uh, the Salem nu- nuclear reactor uh, in New Jersey it had an EHV transformer that normally operated on 750,000 volts, and in seconds it melted that transformer, which was designed to carry 750,000 volts. So you can just imagine the energy. And wasn't there also a Canadian event where, I think in Quebec, that put 8 million people out of power for like 9 hours? It was a very small... Well, yeah, that's 1989 Hydro-Quebec storm to which I'm referring. Okay, that is the same event. Gotcha. Well, one of the other things... It blacked out uh, half of Canada, not just uh, Quebec, but it blacked out half of Canada. Well, and also, when we're thinking about preparedness from, from a big, you know, nuclear, you know, natural... Um, which should we be preparing for? And I know the answer to this because I heard you talk about it. But, you know, some people say, well, you know, the chances of us getting attacked is are very, very small. So why don't we just first prepare for the natural disaster? Talk about which one we should be preparing for. Well, and this isn't just my view, but the recommendation of the Congressional EMP Commission, mm-hmm. which comprised the foremost minds, the best experts on this threat in the free world, they recommended that we prepare for the new EMP event for the, the nuclear case yeah the worst case threat you know because the nuclear EMP is actually more energetic than the natural EMP and there are I don't know if we have time probably don't have time to get into why but there are characteristics from a nuclear EMP attack uh, a nuclear EMP attack generate can create the same phenomena the same kind of EMP that is generated by the Sun Mm-hmm. But it also generates other kinds of EMP as well mm. that are not generated by the sun and that can be caused by other phenomena. And, so, and, uh, and it's the worst-case threat. So if you're prepared against the worst threat, all the lesser threats, mm-hmm. whether it's EMP from the sun uh, or, and people may have difficulty understanding this, but it will also protect you against all of the threats, right. uh, including physical sabotage, cyber attacks against the grid because you can invo- you can create it theoretically a, a nationwide blackout by physical sabotage or mm-hmm. by cyber attack and even severe weather like hurricane sandy and katrina all of the threats to the grid uh you know would be mitigated if you were to protect against a nuclear emp attack had we had we protected the grid against nuclear emp back when the emp commission had made these recommendations in 2008 you mm-hmm. know the victims of hurricane sandy uh, it there would have been, uh, it would have been much easier to recover from that, and people wouldn't have had to be homeless for months, months. Some people still haven't been able to go home, you know, because of the, what happened when the power grid was down for so long. I mean, uh, that makes no. sense. That makes a lot of sense. You prepare for the worst, and I mean, the the cost is probably negligible. I mean, it probably from a from a GDP standpoint, the cost between preparing for the natural. Let's just prepare for something. I mean, let's just not put our head in the sand, right, and not do anything. And the SHIELD Act, I needed to ask you that. Was it the SHIELD Act that you were speaking to that addresses a lot of this in, as far as the protecting of, of the Transformers? Well, the GRID Act was I'm, the first attempt, and then the SHIELD oh, Act, shield was, Act. Was, was, the, uh, was the next attempt. Both of the bills were virtually identical. One was originated by a Democrat Congress, the GRID Act, and the SHIELD Act was originated by the Republican Congress. But Republicans and Democrats, all unanimously in the House, supported both of them. And, uh, but neither of them was able to get through because of the problem I described before about how easily corrupted you know, Washington is, where all you have to do is just buy one guy, and mm-hmm. they can keep that bill bottled up in a committee, even though everybody else wants that bill to pass. You know? Now, we've got a new bill that has passed the House called the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act. And it's better than the GRID Act or the SHIELD Act. 
Okay, well, we're going to pencil that in because we're going to talk about that. We have one short segment left, unfortunately, with Dr. Pry, and we're going to continue this conversation with him. He is the Director of Task Force on National and Homeland Security, and we have certainly enjoyed talking to him. We'll be right back after these short messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour, and that's just the way it is. I mean, he's speaking facts about the infrastructure and where we are preparedness-wise. Dr. Pry is really... Um, shined a light um, on this very important subject matter and I think that all of us who are listening need this is such an important show to share if you have never shared a show before um, please share this one it's easy for me to say I think there's two parts there's two parts to this show and we're going to put them together in one blog post and we would like for you to share those with your friends and family we have over a quarter of a million listens every year um, to our shows and this is one of the most important ones so we want to get the word out about this because there are there are certain political aspects to this that can help us protect our grid um, and, and Dr. Pride, thank you so much for for giving us all of this insight number one well, thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience. Absolutely. By, just by learning about this problem, mm-hmm. uh, you automatically become part of the solution. That's true, and because education and information are powerful pieces of this, and because there's so many people that, that maybe not, I mean, maybe I use the word deny or in denial, but maybe it's just a lack of information, and I think that's what it is. And, you know, it's not something that you sit around the dinner table talking about. You just don't. It's just not one of those things that you really tackle on a, on a daily basis. That's true. Uh, and it's unfortunate that people don't. Uh, uh, you know, they should. I, uh, you had mentioned the, uh, uh, before, before we go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had, you had mentioned how little this would cost. And I would like to give you sure. an audience. We have about three minutes left. Okay. The, uh, Commission estimated it would cost only two billion dollars uh, to protect the national electric grid. Two billion dollars. Very little, that's folks. What, that's what we give away in foreign aid to Pakistan every year. Just so to if Pakistan. we were to spend foreign aid to Pakistan for one year and spend it on the security of the American people, you know, we could secure the grid. And uh, uh, if we were, if we ten or twenty billion dollars would protect all the critical infrastructures. But even if you just protected the electric grid, you'd probably be able to bring back the other critical infrastructures before millions of people starve to death. I also wanted to say that, you know, people don't spend time sitting around the dinner table talking about these things anymore. And uh, you have mentioned it uh, at least once in the show about how, you know, people, uh, you know, might kind of deride this as survivalism, you know. Mm-hmm. And, that, and this kind of preparation, unfortunately, is derided as survivalism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my father's generation, the great generation that had survived the Great Depression and World War II, and had seen government fail in peace and war, every man jack of those people, whether they were Republican or Democrat, they, they are what we would today call survivalists. Mm-hmm. Everybody was a survivalist. That's right. Because they didn't trust the government to be there because it hadn't been there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my father uh, taught us how to hunt and fish, not just for sport, but because he fed his family by hunting woodchucks during the Great Depression. It was called, uh, you know, they called them Hoover Hogs. And my mother was constantly canning stuff and putting food away. 
And we had a plan on how to on how to on how to live if everything failed around us the way things had failed in the Great Depression. My parents had never heard of EMP, but they would have been prepared for it or anything. That's and right. I, I think it's tragic that in a single generation, those virtues of rugged individualism and self-sufficiency, and even having a pride in being able to protect and take care of your own family, that those, those virtues seem to have been lost in most of our population. And now there is this general expectation that uh, the government is going to take care of everything, mm. that there's some guy with thick glasses in the Department of Homeland Security who's do, going to do our thinking for us and going to save our families when something happens. I, not only is that not true, but I don't think it's a healthy attitude for a free people and what's supposed to be a free republic. Well, because these, vir- these virtues, these pioneer virtues of rugged individualism mm-hmm. and self-sufficiency are what made our nation great and free in the first place. And when yeah. we lose those virtues, I, we won't be great and probably won't be free for very long when we turn to the government and expect the government to do everything for us. Well, that was very well said, and I really appreciate that. Dr. Peter Pry, thank you so much for joining us on these wonderful shows that we're going to be able to showcase and get the information out. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and for letting me speak to your audience. Absolutely. That is Dr. Peter Pry. He is the executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. He has a passion for protecting, and I think it's wonderfully said. And I want us all to remember that because we are just trying to do what's right for our families. And hopefully you can take this information and share it with friends and loved ones, and we'll do the right thing here in America. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.